Amen. You may be seated. If you would uh, bow with me in prayer, and then we're going to open God's word and look at Genesis 28 together. But let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you uh, that you meet us uh, in this place, uh, that you meet us in your life-giving word. I pray that as we open your word today, that you would lead and guide and teach us. Uh, We just confess that we can't do this without you, so we need you here moving and teaching and guiding. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to make true uh, your word to our hearts, to open them, open it up to us. So we pray that you would do just that this morning, that as we look at your word, that you'd meet us in this place, that you would teach and you would guide and you would lead us. And that it would all be for your glory and your honor, that we'd leave here having seen you more clearly. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you know me at all, uh, you know that I'm a big basketball fan. I grew up playing basketball from the time I was like first grade. I think it was the first time organized basketball. Always my favorite sport. Loved it. And then uh, if you know that, then you also probably know, too, that I'm an Aggie. If you don't know what an Aggie is, that's uh, uh, a graduate of Texas A&M University. And so I'm an Aggie. And uh, I grew up uh, in that as well. Dad, granddad, mom all went to A&M, always wanted to go there. So love A&M. Uh, kind of grew up loving that, loving basketball. And so as uh, a natural kind of coming together, I, I really enjoy and follow A&M's basketball team. I love the NCAA tournament. I love college basketball, getting to watch it. Uh, every once in a while, fortunate to have A&M actually make the tournament. Uh, the last 10 years, they've made it a lot. Before that, they never made it. But the last 10 years, uh, last year in particular, I was really excited. They made the NCAA tournament, and they were one of the higher seeds. Uh, a lot of expectations. They were ranked in the top 10 like all year. Really good team. Really excited. And so they won their first couple of games. They make it to the third round. And as those things go, I remember watching the game with Joanna. They did not play well. They were down the whole time. And uh, with 44 seconds left, A&M was down by 12. And they showed the crowd. And they showed this group of like four college-age ladies together with their pom-poms and all this stuff. And tears streaming down their face. And their makeup's all running. And it was all... And the announcers are going, it's always hard to lose at the end of the season. And, and kind of, you know, the, the things they say. Actually, Joanna said to me right around that time, I'm really sorry they lost. Right? Like, I didn't have makeup streaming. No tears. But I was, I was very dejected, kind of upset. You know, kind of my usual. I went, oh, it's okay. It's a game. But I was really like, oh, I can't believe they lost this game and so kind of going through those emotions of sports and all that kind of stuff and so uh, I remember just very vividly jo- Joanna saying that and so down by 12 with 44 seconds uh, the next 44 seconds the greatest comeback in the history of the NCAA tournament happens A&M outscores them 14 to 2 in 44 seconds without ever fouling and they come back to win the game and double overtime and so it kind of went in my house like yeah 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 it's okay and then they make a shot, and it's like, ah, and then they make another one, and then another one, and then I go, they might actually win, like, and then it's like jumping around and like, you know, watching the replay over and over throughout the week. But but the the point is, like, you watch those girls in the stands, and then they show them later, and they're throwing stuff, and they're jumping, and people are running on the court after the game. Uh, the game was actually really close to where A&M is, so it was mostly A&M fans, and you see the complete turnaround. And so I was thinking about that, that picture there from one extreme to the other in 44 seconds, just based on that. And as I was thinking about that, I want us just to think about that together. Uh, the moral of the story, hopefully it's obvious, it's that God loves the Aggies. That's the moral of the story. 
No, no, I, no that's, that's, not, that's not actually true. They, but God loves us all, but he does have a special heart for A&M. But that's not the moral of the story. The, the moral of the story is just that our circumstances and our emotions in those moments can widely swing by what's going on around us. And you saw that so clearly illustrated in just the end of a silly game. It's a good reminder for all of us. It is just a game. It is kids playing a game that we're watching that doesn't really change what's going on in our life. But it feels like it in those moments. And so we can swing wildly from one extreme to the other based on something as simple as a game. And so I want us to think about that idea of how in those moments when things are difficult and our circumstances and our life, the emotions that go with it can begin to cloud out what God's doing. His faithfulness and his promises can become to start to seem very distant and very far away in those moments based on our circumstances, based on our emotions because of those circumstances can begin to cloud those things out. And I want us to think about that and start there because we're going to go back to Genesis today and we're going to step in to Genesis chapter 28. And if you've been with us, we've been following God's promises that he's been giving. Started way back in Genesis 3. As soon as sin entered the world, God gives this promise that I'm going to fix this and it's going to come through the seed of Eve. He makes that promise. And then he begins to flesh that out in Genesis 12 as he gives the problem promise to Abraham and he gives it to him multiple times. And he says, you're going to have a son and this son I'm going to bless through his seed and so on and so forth. I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And he tells Abraham that in Genesis chapter 25 that we mentioned last week as we were looking at that. He then gives and reiterates that promise to Jacob's son, Isaac, the son of the promise. And then last week we saw as Jacob, who is now Abraham's grandson, Isaac's son, He and his brother are kind of fighting over who was going to be in that place of receiving these blessings and all that goes with it. But if you were with us last week, what we talked about is both of them uh, we saw in Jacob and in his brother Esau. We saw in his dad Isaac and his mother Rebecca that they were all a mess in all different ways. And as we got to the end of chapter 27, we had seen Jacob swindle his brother not only out of his birthright, but the blessing that goes with it. And what it did is it caused all sorts of problems. We got to the end of chapter 27 and Rebecca saying things like, if Jacob takes a wife from the Hittite women, my life is over. Or we see uh, Isaac dejected and upset and shaking violently that he's accidentally given the blessing to his son Jacob rather than the one he wanted to give it to Esau. We see Jacob now having to flee because his brother Esau wants to kill him because he swindled him out of his birthright and his blessing. And what you see is all these people putting their hope in all these different things in all these different ways. And it's an absolute disaster. And I want to remind you, as we look at this and we think about this and the disaster that's going on and all the problems that are here. This is the family that God said, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. This is Abraham's son and grandson, the one that God chose out of no doing of their own and said, I'm going to bless the world through you. And here they are with their family falling apart. And it's a mess. And so when we pick up here, we see uh, Jacob leaving and fleeing. He's going to look for a wife back in his homeland, but he's also fleeing because he's afraid his brother's going to kill him. His mother says, you've got to get out of here. That's what we looked at last week at the end. You've got to go because he wants to kill you. And so Jacob flees and he goes off to try to find a wife, but he's leaving with leaving behind here. He thought he had the blessing and the birthright and all these things, but it all came crashing down and everything is a mess. 
And that's where we pick up in chapter 28. And this is what I want us to think about as we look at it. How do we proceed in those dark times when our emotions and our circumstances, when the things around us seem to cloud out that God is near or that his promises are valid or all the things that we can allow start to creep in on us because of our present circumstances? Here, things seem very distant. Heaven seems very far from earth and God's promises seem very far from Jacob as he leaves to go on this journey. And so that's where we're going to pick up. And this is the way I want us to look at it. First, I want us just to consider how our circumstances and the the accompanying emotions can often cloud out or obscure the truth of who God is. So how our emotions and circumstances cloud that out. Secondly, what God teaches us about all circumstances, how he's at work in all things. And then lastly, we're going to just consider how we can trust what God says to Jacob here. What he's teaching us in Genesis 28 is true and valid for us today. And so let's just start with the beginning, how the circumstances and our emotions that accompany those obscure the truth of who God is. And so look at verses 10 and 11. Remember, Jacob is fleeing out of fear for his brother killing him. His father prays over him before he goes. He reminds him of this promise that what God's going to do. But Jacob leaves. And so verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. I want you just to stop right there for a second. And that's a pretty vivid picture of kind of where Jacob's life is in the moment. He goes and he leaves and he's fleeing for fear that his brother's going to kill him. Everything's a mess. Everything's a disaster in all these ways. And he goes out and it says he comes to a certain place that doesn't even really tell us where it is. It's not really all that important. He's kind of in the middle of nowhere. And he goes out to the certain place and darkness falls. So he has to stop and kind of camp there for the night. We see this all throughout scripture. When the darkness comes in ancient times, they knew that it was a scary, scary thing. Especially if you're out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but if you live in a time where there's no electricity, there's no street lights, there's no lights around. When darkness comes, what happens is it's really, really dark. You've got the stars and the moon and that's it. And there Jacob is laying out there by himself in the darkness. And it says he took a stone from that place and he put it under his head and he uses it as a pillow. It makes my back and my neck hurt just to read that, to think of sleeping on the ground with a stone as your pillow. But I think what the author's showing us clearly as God inspires this is that he doesn't have anything. Jacob's literally in the middle of nowhere in the darkness. He doesn't even have a knapsack to lay his head on. And so he lays down on a stone in the middle of there. And I want you just to think about for a second if you can put yourself in Jacob's shoes and what he must have been thinking in those moments. Here he'd gone to great lengths to get this birthright, gone to great lengths to get this blessing. He'd done all these things. He'd swindled. He'd worked as hard as he could. We saw last week he is a master manipulator. He manipulated everybody to get what he wanted and it all came crashing down. And so he has to run. And here he is laying down his head in the darkness on a rock in the middle of nowhere. If you're Jacob, what are you thinking? What's going through your mind as you lay down to lay your head down that night? This is a mess. This is an absolute disaster. 
I would think that even as he began to think through the things his father said, Isaac prays for him right before he leaves, reminds him of God's promises. I don't know about you, but sometimes in situations that are really, really difficult and people continually remind you of who God is, sometimes it can be like, yeah, right. You ever think that maybe some of those things creep into Jacob's mind as he goes? Yeah, I've heard about this promise a lot. But when you're laying in the middle of nowhere with a stone for your pillow and no one around fearing for your life, it's easy to go. Yeah, I'm not so sure about all these promises. I'm quite certain that Jacob had heard about him over and over. I'm sure Isaac had told him that he was born to his mother when she was 90 years old and had been barren. I'm sure he told them about God coming to him and reiterating the promise to him. I'm sure Jacob had heard those stories over and over. But it's easy when you lay your head down in the middle of nowhere in the darkness to go, what a mess. I'm not so sure that God's right here in this. Or or maybe it's easy to look at the mess you've created and go, no way God's going to use me in this. Right? The promise was I'm going to bless you through your seed and through you and your kids It would be very easy for Jacob to lay down and think that it'd be very easy for us to read the story and look at it and see Jacob and his character and what he had done and go, why in the world would God use him? And that's where we are. That's where he is in the middle of nowhere. And so I just want to ask before we go on in this story, do you know that feeling? Do you know what that's like in your life to be struggling with everything that's around you and go, man, God seems far away. Maybe you go, I believe it and I trust you, God, but I'm just I just can't see it right now. Or maybe it's more severe than that. Maybe it's I've made so many mistakes and I've messed up and I've blown this over and over. I'm not sure that God can do anything with me. I've heard that a lot from different people at different times. You don't know what I've done. You say God's gracious, but you don't know what I've done. Have you ever been in that situation where that's the thought pattern? That's what's going on because of your circumstances and the motions that accompany it, that you begin to ask those questions. I might be too far gone for this. Or how in the world is God going to work this for good? Or maybe it's not even something present in your life that you're struggling with. It's just you turn on the news. Maybe you watch the news this week and you see a guy running over people in France for no apparent reason. And you go, what in the world? Where is God in all this? Why does this continue to go on like this? Maybe it's neither of those. Maybe it's you're just so busy with the things of this world that you never stop to think about where God is. Maybe the noise is so loud of our culture and what you're spending your time on and you're chasing after that you never even stop to think about where he is in all this. I think if we're honest, we all can uh, relate to one of those at different times in different ways. Or if we're really honest, we probably can relate to all of them. Maybe alternating back and forth between those bombarded all the time with the things around us. And it's hard to not stop and go, "Okay, God, where are you? What's the deal? Heaven seems very distant from earth right now. And so there's Jacob on his rock in the middle of nowhere, fleeing from his brother who wants to murder him. His mother saying, oh, his life's over. Everything's gone. 
And that's what he has swirling around him. But then look at what happens in verse 12. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth. And the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? There's none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And so there he is laying, struggling with all that's around him, having heard these promises over and over, struggling with his current situation, letting his circumstances cloud out what God's doing. And God shows up. And he breaks in and he shatters the idea that certain people or certain situations or certain people in certain situations are beyond his reach. He does exactly what we sang this morning. There's no space that his love can't reach. And he steps in and he meets Jacob in the middle of nowhere. Jacob, the swindler. Jacob, the master manipulator, Jacob, who's not even looking for God. And God shows up and he meets him in this place and he begins to blow apart these things that we let our emotions and our circumstances, the lies that begin to tell ourselves. And God blows those apart. He emphatically says, I'm not limited by your mess. I'm not far off just because you feel like I'm far off. I'm right here in this with you. And he shows up and he tells us and shows us that his categories are not the categories that we put on him. We try to put God in a box and this is the way he works. And he steps in and blows that apart. And he meets Jacob in the middle of nowhere as he's lying on a rock. And I want you to look more carefully at like what he says and what he shows him here. He gives him this dream and the dream is, we often refer to it as Jacob's ladder. There was a ladder reaching down from the earth up to heaven. When we say that, the ladder is actually kind of misleading. It's not really all that helpful because we think of a ladder as being single, you know, two sides and the wrongs and you have to go up. It really would be better served, and your footnote actually says that if you're following in the ESV, of a staircase. Of a great big huge staircase. Angels are ascending and descending at the same time on the same staircase here. And he opens up this picture to him and he shows him that the messengers of God, these angels are coming back and forth between earth and they're proclaiming who God is and they're showing us what he's like. And I want you to think about that image and that picture that he's giving there. Heaven and earth are not far off. It's not just because you feel that way that that doesn't make it so. God is intimately involved and the angels are ascending and descending. And he is involved and he knows what's going on and he's present and he's working and he's caring. 
And then in verse 13, you see that it steps in and it says, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, again, that translation could be above him, above Jacob, but he's there talking and and addressing Jacob with this incredible vision behind him of how heaven and earth are intimately linked. And he begins to speak and he begins to tell Jacob of the promises that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac. He reiterates the promises. He tells them of the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to give you a great number of descendants. And through your offspring, through this one that will come, I'm going to bless the entire world. And that thing that Jacob had heard Abraham talk about and Isaac talk about and be reminded of that seems so far away. God breaks in and he says, I'm still at work to do this. And even though your present circumstances don't feel like it, even though it seems far off, I am at work in this. And he meets Jacob there and he shows him I'm real and I'm present. I'm involved. Graciously. Wonderfully, God's faithfulness is not dependent on your faithfulness. The swindling cheater. And he says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to do a work through you. And he shows up and he meets him in that place. But if you look carefully, he adds something. He says something that he didn't say it quite the way he said it to Abraham or Isaac. He does reiterate the promise. He does tell him all those things. But then look at what he says in verse 15. Right. Imagine where Jacob is right now. Put yourself in his shoes. He's running away. He got this blessing and this birthright, but he's running off and he doesn't even have a way to utilize any of it right now. And what does God say? Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Can you think how sweet that would be to Jacob in that moment? Running for your life and God shows up and he says, I'm with you. I'm with you in all this mess right now and I'm not leaving you. I'm going to finish what I started. And he speaks that in to Jacob's life and he tells him and he meets him there. And God blows apart the categories that we place when circumstances in our life make us think that that's not true. And God shows up and says, you're never too far from me. He blows apart the idea that God doesn't work in these certain places. He blows apart This idea that we'll put on him that he can't work in this situation or that he's far off or that he's distant or he's not involved in this. And he says, I am. And he steps right into the midst of all of it. And he says, I am here and I am at work and I'm going to reconcile heaven and earth and I'm going to do it and I'm going to finish it and I'm going to do what I told you I was going to do. I want you to think about the promise that he's telling him. You know, you can read that and in verse 15, it says, I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. you go, well, wait a second. He's going to stay for a while and he's going to finish it and then see you later. What's the promise? I'm going to bless the world through your offspring, which we've talked about over and over. That's Jesus. Jesus is going to reconcile heaven and earth by what he does. 
What's the end of Jesus' promise to us? He's going to return and heaven is going to invade earth and he's going to put it together. He's going to regenerate the whole thing and he's going to be with us forever as our king. So I'm going to stay with you until I finish my problem where I never leave you. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm not going anywhere. And I've got you in this and I'm going to go with you and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to keep you and I'm going to bring you home. and I'm going to finish what I'm doing. And so Jacob goes from this place of hearing secondhand who God is and what he's going to do to God stepping into his life and blowing apart all these categories. I'm going to bring to fulfillment what I told you I was going to bring. No matter what's swirling around you, I'm active and I'm involved and I'm in this. And just because it feels like I'm far off, I'm not far off. And so you can read that. And you go, that's incredible that he does that for Jacob. Look at this story. Look at who God is. But you can say, "Uh, that's great. Maybe even you relate to Jacob. You go, but how does that affect me? Or maybe you feel like Jacob right now. You go, yeah, I really relate to Jacob, but uh, I'm asleep on the rock right now. I'm still waiting for the vision. Still waiting for the staircase to show me this incredible picture. You go, how do we trust in what God says for Jacob is true for us? How does that come together? Well, the truth is what Jacob saw from afar, we now see in full. God has graciously placed us in a time in his redemption history that we see the fullness of all this. And I want to show you that. If you'd flip with me to John chapter 1, we're going to finish up there. John 1, beginning in verse 43. If you don't have a Bible or you don't want to try to find it, I'm going to read it to you. But if you want to follow along, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. Right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's calling his disciples. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found of him whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hear what he's saying. We found the one that's the promise of Abraham. We found him. And so they go and they tell Nathanael and they said that he's from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael's blown away. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Do you hear what he says? Nathaniel goes, you know who I am, right? It's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. How did you hear that? He says, I knew you. I saw you over there. I knew you before you knew me. And he goes, oh, you're God. And Jesus says, you have seen nothing yet. 
You're going to see heaven and earth joined, and it's all going to be because of what the Son of Man does. That's Jesus' term for himself over and over, the Son of Man. You're going to see heaven and earth joined together and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to be blown away at what I'm going to do. And he goes back to that vision that he gave to Jacob. He says, now it's coming to full here. Look at what I'm about to do in this. And so he tells them, I'm going to join it together. The promise that he gave to Jacob, that Jacob greeted from afar. Right? Jacob, I'm going to finish what I told you I'm going to do. I'm going to bless the world through your seed. Nathaniel now gets a front row to see it happen. And we know because of where we sit and where God has placed us in his story of how it all comes together. Just as Jacob is out in the middle of nowhere, in the darkness, on the rock, struggling. So God enters into the middle of nowhere, in the darkness, in the straw, in the poverty, as a son, as a baby. And he lives this perfect life that we could never live. And he dies the death that we deserve. And he says, I will take your sin and your guilt and your shame and all your mess. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do away with the chasm between heaven and earth. I'm going to bring it together in the Son of Man and what I've done for you. And he said, I'm proving to you as I step in and I show you that, that I'm not far off. That I'm always with you and I'm involved in this. And because of what I've done, I'm never leaving you and I'm never forsaking you and I've got you through all of it. And he steps in and does what he promised Jacob that he would do. I just wonder how many people standing around heard him say that. I'm here. And heaven and earth are going to be joined together because of the Son of Man. Wow. And then he does it. And so I want you to think about this as we end this morning, wherever you are in your life right now, whatever swirling around you, whatever you're struggling with, I want you to think about what Jesus says and the promises he tells us and the promises that he's proved in his life, death and resurrection. And it's the fulfillment of everything he said to Jacob. And so there's really two ways where you could be right now. One is maybe you're living as Jacob. Maybe you really, really resonate with where Jacob is as he lays down on the rock in the middle of nowhere. And you go, that's kind of where I am right now. I'm asleep in the darkness on the rock and I've got nothing and I'm struggling through this and I don't know what's next. I would tell you that God loves you so much that he stepped down into this and he did what you can never do for you. Scripture says faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so if you're there today and you're in the middle of the darkness and you go, I don't know what to do. You turn to Jesus. Today. Don't wait. He loves you that much. That he came to do what you could never do for you. God's word is living and active. And just as Jacob saw that vision, so you hear the gospel, the good news of who what God is and what he's done. It's the exact same thing. He's at work today. 
But the other side of that is you've put your faith in Jesus and you believe it and you know him. But circumstances are starting to crowd out those promises. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. You ever feel that way? Just come back. I'm ready. And you look at all the mess and all the things that are around you. And you let those things cloud out what's true about who God is and what he's doing. Hear God's word. Jesus says the same thing right before he ascends to heaven that he said to Jacob. Did he not? I am with you always till the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've got you in this. He says the exact same thing to us. Nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ, no matter what your circumstances or your emotions tell you. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. We can trust that right now, no matter what's going on around us. So cling to him in faith. Cry out to him. And he says, I've got you in the midst of all this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of who you are and what you've done. The ways that you love us, that you meet us in the midst of all these things. I thank you for the truth of your grace in Jacob's life is the same truth of your grace in our life. That when we were far from you, we were not seeking you. But you, being rich in mercy, caused us to become alive in Jesus. And all we can say is thank you. I pray for any that are here today that may feel like Jacob did in those moments. That you would meet them in the midst of their suffering, where they are, and their struggles, and their questions. That you would reveal yourself to them. That you would be so real in this moment, in this day. I pray for those that know you and trust you and love you, but the circumstances of life are beginning to crowd that out. I pray that you'd give them a fresh, your spirit in their life, that they would know you so clearly and be able to rest in you today. We thank you that you meet us where we are. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for the completion that's yet to come, that we eagerly wait with great anticipation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.